Welcome to The Life Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Well, hopefully we'll finish part two. I've actually prepared a part three just in case. They call me Turbo Teeth at home. My wife hasn't spoken to me for two years. She didn't want to interrupt me. So, you know, uh, here we go. Same old bad dad jokes. At the birth of starting in ministry many, many years ago, over 40 years ago, I was launched into the world of what some of you know as Youth Alive. Uh, A lot of wonderful things happening in our country at the time amongst young people, massive rallies around the country. In fact, I was there the day the Youth Alive movement was born. I was in Melbourne and uh, we were praying for our nation praying for the youth of our nation to have a revival. And in an old dingy old motel in uh, in Melbourne, leaders from all around Australia had gathered as youth leaders. And I remember we, for two days, just cried, wept, and prayed for the youth of our nation to be known not for their addictions, but for their freedom of walking with God. And that was the early stages of my ministry. But one of the pressures was we had amazing speakers around the country, when we had these national rallies, I was often the afternoon speaker because the other speakers were more, you know, grab the crowd, go for it, you know, uh, more entertaining. And at the time, I only had a couple of messages. I wasn't really good at what I was doing. And uh, I remember one day feeling the pressure of having to perform, the pressure to be on a stage and make everybody happy. And uh, I remember I was praying one day and I believe it was God, you judge it, But the thought came into my mind, do you wanna be popular or do you wanna be effective? Do you wanna be popular or do you wanna be effective? See, nice is not always right. We can be nice, but not right. And so I realised this peer pressure to be what other people wanted you to be. But early in my ministry, God gave me a revelation of Bible pattern that we build our lives according to a biblical pattern. I've been a Christian for most of my life. I'm 65, I gave my life to Christ when I was 11. The Bible has never let me down. In all the changes that are happening in our world right now, the Bible makes more sense than anything we're hearing from anybody. It's been consistent and it's worked all the way through my life. If you go to the doctor and he gives you something and say, you take this, you'll get better and you take it and you get better, you know, he's a good doctor. Well, I've been to Dr. Jesus all my life and his prescriptions have never let me down. But you don't leave the prescription in a jar at home and say, it doesn't work. You've got to apply it to your life. And so last week I shared something that is very deep to me about why I value the church and why I get a bit sad when people bash the church. See, it's not made, one night I was laying on my bed and and just thinking about things and half asleep and I felt this thought in my mind that God was saying, I'm stuck. And I'm going, what do you mean you're stuck? He goes, I can't build my church with angels. I can only build the church with broken humanity. So church is never gonna be full of perfect people. It's never gonna be built by people that get everything right, but we don't throw away his pattern because in the end it will work 
if we apply the prescription in our lives. And so right now, not just with COVID, but with the spirit of the age that's at work in our world, there's such little respect for any authority. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes and the world has never been more confused. And I feel very, very strongly that as Christian leaders, we can't just be nice, we've got to be right. We've got to bring the truth. We can't just tickle with nice stories, but we've got to bring the truth. And the things that I share, as leaders, all of us, what we share, we'll be held accountable for. So I wanna read you pastor's job description before we go any further today. You see, I wanna be effective, not just popular. There is a revival of truth coming back to the church. You need to hear me today. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses two to five, Paul is giving Timothy, he's, ment- he's mentoring Timothy and he's saying, this is your job description. Preach the Word of God, be prepared whether the time is favourable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. The Bible teaches that those of us that stand before people and teach are being given a great privilege but there's also a greater price. And there's a price that has to be paid because you are trusting us. You need to judge what we teach. I'm glad Ashley did question some of the things and I wanna know later what it was. Need to check up. (laughs) Did I preach heresy? (laughs) We gotta move into a place of dialoguing around the Word of God and come up with our own non-negotiable convictions. I'm not a religious person, I hate religion, I was raised in religion, but I believe that we can have non-negotiable convictions. And one of those is the beauty of the church that Jesus birthed. When we build the church according to His prescription, it is an amazing, amazing coming together of an army that cannot be stopped. The church has been attacked from its inception. And you know, I know I may have shared this before, but Voltaire, the, the, the atheist and, uh, who, who didn't believe in God, he said, within a hundred years of my death, the Bible won't even exist. A hundred years to the day, his house was turned into a printing press for the Bible Society. You can't destroy God's pattern. You cannot destroy the church that Jesus birthed. Yes, religion we can do without. And our versions of Christianity that don't line up with His roadmap don't work. But when the church is what the Bible teaches us clearly it should be, wow, what an awesome, awesome place the church can be. I've been in it all my life. There's times when I've been in meetings that were more boring than others. But I've never gone home without a seed planted in my heart or a word that could have only happened supernaturally. Before I turned 50 years of age, 
For many years before that, I'm 65 now, before I turned 50, for many years I had a silent but loud voice in my head that would say, before you're 50, you're gonna die. You're gonna die before you're 50. And no matter how much I tried to ignore it, it would pop up. At times I'd get on a plane and I'd say goodbye to the kids and uh, when they were still teenagers living at home and, and uh, they'd say goodbye rather than see you later. And I thought, am I gonna die in a plane crash? Like you might think it's weird, but the place of revelation, as I've said many times, is also the place of accusation. And I remember one time having to preach seven messages in a row at Hillsong in one weekend. And I'm about to preach my last message at their main campus on this particular Sunday night, wishing, I wish this was over. I was exhausted, I was tired, I was just about to turn 50. Standing next to me is that incredible Bible teacher at Hillsong, what's his name, his name's gone, Robert Ferguson, such a good friend, I can't even remember his name. But senior moment. He's standing next to me, they're about to introduce me. And he turns to me and he goes, that voice inside your head is a lie. That voice inside your head is a lie. And then it completely snapped off my life. How does that happen? He didn't know what voice was in my head. He had no idea, but the power of the organic church that is connected to God and to people, nobody can compare that. You can't compare that with anything. So when we go to Proverbs 31, and it's about wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And I think wisdom is only wisdom when we apply it. And so the whole book of Proverbs is about making right choices. It's about making right choices in life. And we get to Proverbs 31 and it gives us a picture of this woman because wisdom in the Bible is depicted in the female as we said last week, because it comes from the Greek and the Greek word Sophia is the word for wisdom. And so they've continued that feminine language all the way through, although most women here will probably think that they are the wiser, you know. Uh, yeah, who, who said true? Did your wife tell, tell, tell you that? I mean, it could be. Yesterday, my husband thought he saw a cockroach in the kitchen. He sprayed everything down and cleaned thoroughly. Today, I'm putting the cockroach in the bathroom. <laughs> so women are smarter. <laughs> Maybe. But as we go to Proverbs 31, we meet this incredible picture of a wife and the more I looked at it, I was in Africa, for those of you that weren't here last week, when I was reading this passage and I thought no woman on the planet could ever do all these things that this woman, which is really wisdom, but this passage of Scripture talks about. We have women's conferences all over the world on the Proverbs 31 woman. And while there's wonderful qualities that most women have, you couldn't go and do all these things at the same time. I don't think there's a human being, a woman or man, or nobody could do these things. And yet when you look at it in the context that the church is called the bride of Christ and we see what the bride can do collectively together. Wow, what an amazing institution. What an amazing thing the church is. What an amazing, organ, not organisation, but organic existence. 
Our hospitals were started by the church. Our universities were started by the church. If you were to remove all the charities in the world that are birthed by the church, there's hardly anything left. And I wanna say today, it's not trying to talk you into loving the church. If you love Christ, you love His wife, you love the bride. And so we go back to Proverbs 31 and I'm not gonna read it because it's a long passage. But what we're gonna do is I'm gonna quote it verse by verse as we go. We went through five last week. I'm gonna finish them today and then just go a little bit further. But verse 10, it says, who can find a virtuous and capable wife? I wanna be a person who is part of a church that people wanna find. The number of people that are ticked at the church. Church did this to me. No, church didn't do that. Human beings that are broken did that to you. The pattern of the church didn't do that to you. You put a whole lot of people in the same football club. You don't play, I'm never playing football again because I got hurt at the club. No, wherever you put people, there's issues. Because we're all at different places of hurt. We're all in different places of growth. But did God come up with something that works or didn't He? And so through COVID, people are deconstructing and saying, you know, I don't need to be in church to be a Christian. Can I say this? And this is controversial. I think you do. You can't say you're a Christian because a Christian is a Christ follower. And the Bible says, if you don't follow His Word, you're not following Him. You cannot divorce the Word of God from God. They're not, they're not separate. He's the living Word. And so I wanna be found out in verse 10. I want the world out there to go, wow, this is the real deal. These people are genuine. They have been transformed. This is my story. I was lost and I was found. And this is what's changed in my life. The greatest power of the church is your testimony, your story, our stories of the transforming power of God. Number two, we're of great value to God. She is more precious than rubies. Because God's real in my life, I wanna be of great value to Him. When you love someone, you wanna please them the way they wanna be pleased, as we've heard before. It says in verse 11, her husband will trust her. I wanna be trusted. All the church wants is your money. Who's the church? What do we do with that money? In, In leading the church that I led for 21 years, Millions and millions of dollars a year given to the poor. In Zimbabwe, for the first time in the history of Bulawayo, there was no cholera because we were able to go and build 57 latrines and hundreds of fresh water passing through for vegetation done by a handful of, you you don't read about that on the news. You don't hear about that on television because good news doesn't really attract people. It's the bad news. But the church corporately around the world, when it becomes what God intended it to be, we become trustworthy. God can trust us. Number four, we accelerate the purposes of God. In verse 12, she will not hinder him, but help him all her life. Church has never ever hurt me. People have. But the church of God has been a blessing in my life when it acts out the will of God. And all my life, there's been a consistency. If I was to say to you, what's the greatest key in your life? Just doing what the Bible says consistently. You know, the whole New Testament is written about how we do life together, how we use our different gifts to help one another, what we do when there's conflict, how we forgive. How do you do that at home online? 
Now, those of you online this morning, I understand why you are and that's okay. But we won't be able to do the rest of our lives like that because there's a togetherness that's needed to be in community and you'll find out why in just a moment. And so I wanna accelerate the purposes of God. I don't wanna hinder Him because they work, they're real, they're consistent in my life, all my life. I have been in a deacon-possessed church. I was there when the board members had a punch-up on a, on, on a board meeting and on a Sunday morning at my dad's church. I've watched all kinds of weird stuff done in the name of God. I've watched people cast demons out of people that had depression. And there was no demons there at all. We've done some crazy things in the name of God. And yet underlining it all, when we get back to biblical truth, the church is the safest place we could ever be. And I'm glad for it. I'm grateful for it. And I won't apologise for loving the church. Number five, she is passionate. Verse 13, she finds wool and flax and busily spends it. I've got to move along. Number six, she's structured. Verse 15, she gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. Church needs a structure. It's not just organic. They need structure. I want to say, and this is not a suck up this morning, but I want to say this very clearly. Pastor Tony and Kath are two of the most disciplined people I've ever, ever met in my life. And they have structure in their life. They don't waste their lives. What they preach, they do practice. I see it in every aspect of their life because they believe in supernatural and spiritual and natural structure. And we need to have that. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because we're deconstructing. Some people are meeting in homes and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's because they're anti the structure of the church. Well, the Bible's structured. The Trinity's structured. There is a structure. She was entrepreneurial, number seven, verse 16. She goes out to inspect a field and buys it. You know, church, people think church should be poor. How can we help the poor? If we're not entrepreneurial. I remember putting my house on the line. People don't know this. And six other people, when we bought the Renella building down on South Road for $1.9 million. I had just started a mortgage on a house and we had to put our houses on the line. The lawyers go, why are you doing this? What happens if people stop coming to church? Well, we lose our homes. And we put our lives on the line because we were not ambition driven, we were vision driven by something that God had put in our hearts to change our community, to leave something to the next generation, to leave something to our grandchildren, to have both my sons marry in church, marry Christian girls. I've got grandkids that love God. What is wrong with that? If we had thrown away the church because it's full of hypocrites. And so... We put our houses on the line and it was only till three years later that they said, no longer do you have to be guarantors because you've paid so much off the mortgage. We became entrepreneurial. We didn't want to be talking about a mortgage. We, we wanted to have a place that was safe for our young people and for future generations. When I handed the church over a few years ago, the assets of the church were not 1.9, but $18 million. Because I didn't want to leave the next generation debt. Oh, the church wants your money. How much does smoking cost, pornography cost, all the stuff we do and the drinking and the booze, you add up the tithe the devil takes. And see who gets the better deal. 
All you Christians want money. What are we gonna do with it? When I left the church, did I sell the church and keep the money? No, it belonged to the people. To see a community transform. We need to be entrepreneurial. We need to do those things. Amen. Number eight, it goes the extra mile. Verse 17, she's energetic and strong, a hard worker. She watches for bargains. Her lights burn light into the night. What does that say? It's that it's not a job. For me, it's a life calling. I'm called 24-7. I don't come and do my gig. I don't go home from the gig this morning because this message I'm sharing with you will keep speaking to me all the way home. You know how long it takes to download from your brain what you've been sharing with everybody else? Because it's not a talk, it's a walk. It's something we've got to walk out. And so she goes the extra mile. Number nine, has a heart for the broken. Verse 20, she extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. That's the church I see. Do you know, we had a mortgage when we went down south and it's really amazing because a lot of people that joined us uh, were from Christie's Beach and all those areas down there. And they would say to me, don't you try to turn us into the big church you came from, you know, in the northern suburbs, this is a poor area. And we began to teach people how to be stewards and how to have growth in their lives. And the number of people that went from renting to buying homes and, and then after about four years, we won the award for having the most generous Christmas tree at Colonnade's Shopping Centre for the community. Why? Because it wasn't about us. It wasn't about us getting rich. It wasn't about, it's about having enough to do. You know what my definition of prosperity is? Having enough to do the will of God. Whatever we need to do God's will is prosperity. I don't need a plane to do the will of God. I don't need a jet to fly all over the world to do the will of God. I know what I need. Right now I'm 65 and I'm not on a full salary and I'm not on earning what I used to earn, but because we were organised to prepare ourselves for this and soon I'll be able to do everything I do for nothing. Why? Because we were never called to do it for money. We would do it because it's a calling. So she activates stewardship, verse 21. She has a fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. We've got to have stewardship. She has a spirit of excellence, verse 22. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. She honours Jesus, verse 23, or honours her husband, because her husband is well known at the city gates. I believe that Life Church is about to move into a season where we will be known at the city gates, but it won't be us that'll be known, it'll be the God we serve. You know, there was a time when Peter and John were in front of the gate, beautiful, in the Bible, looking at a crippled man and they said, look at us. Do you know there's a time when the church has to say to the community, look at us. Then the guy gets healed and everybody goes, you guys are amazing. And they go, don't look at us. Do you know the church has got to have the right look at us and the right don't look at us. Look at us because we've got a healthy story to give you. But when you get the miracle, we say, don't look at us. Look at Him. Thank you, thank you. Number 13, I'm nearly there. She has a part, this is all in, this is all in Proverbs 31 and it's what I endeavoured to build our church on all those years back. She has a pastor leader mix. Verse 26, when she speaks, her words are wise and kindness is the rule when she gives instruction. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's talking to the Thessalonians and he says, like a mother, I just wanted to gather you and love on you. Like a father, I wanted to urge you. Do you know the parental anointing has left the world? Some people only wanna be nurtured. So some people only nurture, but we never grow. Some people only nudge. If we give people nudges all the time, we're gonna kill them. If we only give them nurture, we won't grow them. And I believe the role of every church is to have a pastor leader mix. You can't lead what you don't love. And you can't lead what you can't read. And I believe I'm an unusual mix because I have an incredible passion for truth that we're not here to be popular, we're here to be effective, but it doesn't mean we're angry. It doesn't mean we're trying to manipulate people to do things. No, we love people, we nurture them. And because we nurture them, there's a nice opportunity for a nudge of the truth of God's Word. And you marry those two together and you have an incredible thing happening. The next one is she blesses generations. Her children will stand and bless her. I have a son which many of you know was so severely broken one of, for you, if you're visiting, one of our son is in heaven. But another son who severely broke to the point where I thought I could never survive the embarrassment of his brokenness. And yet today we sit at the same table every week and we talk the Word of God together. He has a clear understanding of where he broke. See, the world is broken. And if we're not open, we're just gonna become an image of these two good people, two goody shoes people that aren't really being real. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for direction in the right way through broken people on a journey. And I sit with my son now and the son I've got now and the one that I had prior to his brokenness, I know which one I'd rather have. It was painful to get there, but I'm so grateful now. And the last one out of this passage of Scripture is that she has a focus on influence, not just image. We just read she had a spirit of excellence. She dresses in purple linen. She looks really nice. And the church has always been looked at as old fashioned, out of date, you know. Uh, you know we used to send secondhand tea bags to the missionaries in New Guinea years ago. So that's what the church is like, give the leftovers. I'm so glad we can have a spirit of excellence, but it can't be about image. It's gotta be about influence. She has a focus on influence, not just image. Listen to this, verse 30. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord. You see, it's about integrity and influence, not just about image. And I've lived through the world on who's got the bigger church, how many bums on seat on Sunday, how many pastors have judged their success on a Sunday by who's sitting there and how much money was in the offering? Those days are over, my friend. We're gonna see expressions of the church in small groups, in larger churches, smaller churches, all kinds of shapes. Yeah. It's not all gonna look the same everywhere, but it needs to have these attitudes and these spirits. When I look at the church, I've got to move quickly, nearly done. But when I look at the church, I see three things. I see a hospital, I see a community and I see an army. Now, when I see a hospital, I don't see the church being a hospital. I see the church having a hospital. Can you imagine if everybody in this room was sick? How are we gonna go and change the world? We're all sick. 
we're all depressed, we're all angry, we all wanna punch somebody's lights out, now let's go and change the world. (laughs) You see, in a community like this, we're all at different levels in life. And the church should always provide a hospital. For those that are needy, I spend Tuesdays here and I spend other times with people in this house and I'm glad this church has a hospital. I wanna help, I wanna come alongside people. But the church is not 100% hospital because there are times when you are going through something and I'm not. And I can lift you when you need lifting because you can't lift yourself. So why walk into church and expect everybody to be the same at the same place at the same time? And so the church has a hospital. The church is a community. The whole New Testament is written about how to do community. When the Bible says in the book of Acts they were in one accord, it doesn't mean they all sat in a Honda. Sorry. (laughs) That's bad. Fit the church in a Honda, in one accord. You got an accord, haven't you? There you are, all in your car. The one accord of the Bible demands togetherness. We cannot be, now I'm always saying, I don't go to church, I am the church, and that's true. We're all parts of the church when we leave here. But in the truest sense of the word, we're not the church because the church is a gathering of believers. And so we are an expression of the church when we leave here. Just like we're not the church, we're our congregation. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He wrote seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor in the New Testament in the book of Revelation. If Jesus was to write a letter to the church in Adelaide, who would he write it to? because he wrote one to the Ephesian Christians, to the Christians in Laodicea. He didn't write it to the small groups. He wrote it to every believer in that city. There's only one church in Adelaide. It's God's church, no matter what abomination, denomination you're part of. (laughs) But we're a congregation of His church. Some like loud music, some like old, or some young people are leaving the music we had today and are going back to liturgy. But that's all stylistic. Do you think God's up in heaven going, gee, I haven't heard that style before. (laughs) Gee, those musos, man, where do they get that from? God is the creative God of the universe. Every style is not an issue to Him. This is not stylistic. You know, we're a community. and, And thirdly, we're in an army. None of these things can be done in isolation. Now, let me move real quickly. I'm leaving a lot of stuff. Why then do we gather? My next message in two weeks, I'll talk about the church in the scatter. This is the church in the gather. If we just gather and don't scatter, we're just a nice, friendly club. But we're meant to change the world. And so just why we gather, and our musicians come, because that'll make everybody think I'm gonna finish. Okay, I will, I will, I will. Why we gather, number one, is to respect and honour God. If Jesus and God the Father birthed the church and tells us in the Bible the power of coming together, I wouldn't have got that voice inside your head is a lie if I wasn't in the together. Lifted me and it's never come back. How can in one moment in church, I could take hours this morning to tell you 30 years of stories. But trust me this morning, we come to respect and honour God. So God says, I'll build my church. And we say, oh, stuff it, I don't think I like it. Think about it. 
The very thing God said He would build, we can take or leave. We can't give an hour and a half. Some, most pastors around Australia are saying, most people before COVID, our regular attendance now is people turning up once a month. I'm sorry, please don't get mad at me. But if He died on a cross for me, can you imagine in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus going, I've shed enough blood. I don't think I wanna go all the way to the cross. It's just too hard. But for the joy set before Him, went all the way to the cross for you and me. And we can say, oh no, I can't be bothered. He crossed every bridge and barrier to get to the cross. We can't get in a car. And I'm not being, I'm not having a go, please. I'm just, let me talk to me now. And I can't get in a car and come here with you and give Him the honour and respect that is due to His name. Because the Word of God tells us, you know, I've got to move along. But David in Psalm 26 in the message says, God, I love living with you. Your house glows with your glory. So number one, we come to give God the respect and honour that's due to His name. Number two, we come to get an infusion of the Word. Not everybody that preaches is called by God to do it. But when we are blessed to have people called by God to bring us the Word of God, then there's an infusion of truth. Every month I go to the day hospital at South Road, the Tennyson Centre, and they give me a five hour infusion. The second Thursday of every month. I hate it because they can't get into my veins and they take ages to break through and blood starts flowing and put my hand under water to warm it up. They get me to drink a lot of water the night before, but my veins are so traumatised. But you know what? That infusion is helping me not catch bacterial infection. I thank God that the infusion of God's Word has stopped me from catching infection from a spirit of the age that is destructive and can ruin our lives. Seven false prophets in the New Testament that are gonna show up in the last days and they're all evident right now. And one Sunday I'll teach you those seven prophets. We need to be careful who teaches us because we need the right infusion. They give me provision. Can you imagine if they gave me somebody else's chemo? I'd be dead. I need the infusion of His Word. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a path unto my way. And number three, number three, we need to come together because we need to encourage others. If I never preach in this church again, and I've told Pastor Tony, it doesn't bother me. As long as I can sit in that foyer after church and connect with people that can talk about what they're going through. If that's all I do for the rest of my life, what a privilege and what an honour. In January 2017, research showed 200,000 older Britons had not had a conversation with a friend in more than a month. In January 2018, Tracy Crouch was given the task of becoming what the press dubbed Britain's first ever Minister for Loneliness. 2018, a survey in USA showed 46% of Americans feel alone and 47% felt left out. Death in isolation is so high now. People do life online, but they're lonely 
have no one to talk to. A lot of post-traumatic stress, people that come back from serving in the military, they say they lose the comradeship that they had with their fellow soldiers and move into a life of loneliness. Our sociability is our humanity. Individualism comes at a high cost. And that's why God's pattern, there's more there, but we'll stop. God's pattern is I come and respect and honour the God who loves us so much, who knows what He'll do. I've had divine appointments in that foyer over and over again. We have an infusion. God's amazing Word that stops us from getting infection. And then we give to each other encouragement, which is so needed today. Father, today, help us understand the value of not an institution called the church, but the living, organic church of God. That Lord, we can be that in small groups wherever we are, but we also wanna thank You for the great gathering of coming and giving You the honour. I thank You for this team that spends hours preparing to bring the songs that will help us honour You. But it shouldn't be that hard. We should come ready to honour You and respect You. Thank You for the infusion of Your Word that stops us from getting infection. And Father, help us to be there, not for us, but to bring encouragement. May no one go home not being spoken to today, but let the lonely find a family. We pray in Jesus' Name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you're encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life and we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Adelaide campus. If you'd like to know more about Life, then visit our website at lifeadelaide.org or download the Life Adelaide app and stay connected.